0: Hey, Kansas City. Welcome to episode 17 of the Made in Casey podcast. We are now in day 17 of the 30-day stay-at-home order. I'm Tyler Enders.
1: I'm Keith Bradley. And I'm Thomas McIntyre.
0: We're calling today's episode a headline episode. We'll be discussing a few news stories we've seen recently that warrant further discussion. Well, good afternoon, guys. Any fun weekend plans in the works?
1: Nothing specific. Uh, It is Easter weekend coming, and so I think there's going to be a lot of creativity around how people celebrate Easter this year, trying to keep it happy and fun for the kiddos. Uh, Keith, did you mention what my parents' plans are? I actually have not heard this yet.
2: Well, so typically what happens is Easter service, gather at church, and then we all head over to the McIntyre household for brunch, yard games, massive Easter egg hunt, and a whole long afternoon of just hanging out together. Um, That's obviously not going to happen, but I did hear a rumor that your parents are now just ordering Chinese food for Easter this year.
1: Nice. That means they're ordering from Dragon Inn in downtown Overland Park, I'm sure of it. So they'll be uh, supporting local in that sense. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for them. But that does remind me, I forgot that I had started a new Easter tradition that I love probably four or five years in a row now of gathering old tennis balls Uh, of the tennis court by my parents' house. And then we hit them in the vacant field next door to see who can have the longest shot. And that, that won't happen this year. That's a bummer.
0: That's a bummer. I'm glad to hear that Dragon Inn is being supported and I'm sure they're doing fine, but just in case everyone should go order food from Dragon Inn because that is a Kansas City institution and we need to make sure it survives the pandemic
1: completely agree uh, we have not I'm hope I'm I don't know if they're open or not we'll have to check and uh, edit if they're not but uh, I'm guessing if my parents are talking about Chinese food it's it's dragging in
2: it'll become the new Easter tradition I like it
1: so keep into it
0: do all of your kids will all of your kids participate in a scavenger hunt like at what age do kids not understand the idea of finding things that have been hidden
1: it's called an Easter egg hunt Tyler not a, <laughs> not a scavenger Thanks, hunt I'm sorry <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: So at what age do they understand the idea of like oh I have to go find these hidden things?
2: Oh yeah, everyone will participate. So Maxine's two, Ben is nine, and the the joy runs the same through all of them. So imagine the joy of finding a quarter in a couch cushion. It's like that times 10 because all your all your can all your eggs are filled with candy. So I mean everyone gets involved, even the adults.
0: I certainly remember doing this through my entire childhood to an age where it did not make sense. My dad would always keep track of how many he hid. So that way we wouldn't have, you know, a melted chocolate in a couch cushion that sits there for six months or something. But I didn't have a sense for like if uh, Tucker, if Maxine are at an age where they can participate.
2: Absolutely. Okay. It's like prime, it's like prime age at at, from two to four, I think is like prime age for you. Nice.
1: Yeah. Tucker will be very excited about uh, the Easter egg scavenger hunt on Sunday.
0: Nice. Um, All right. Well, as we've said a couple times, we're trying to do a lot of future casting and I watched something super late last night that actually aired on Tuesday that I found really fascinating. Think you guys would enjoy it. So I kind of wanted to just go through it. You should watch it. I'm sure I'll miss things. But Trevor Noah on the Daily Show hosted Bill Gates and Bill Gates, I don't know if you guys saw the TED Talk in 2015. Did you guys happen to hear about that at all or see anything about it? Heard about it.
2: Talk but I read yeah, I read about the article. Yeah, I haven't seen it.
0: Okay, so long story short, he issues this warning about the risk of a pandemic that is eerily similar to what we're experiencing now. And he also published a really robust article in the New England Journal of Medicine outlining what might happen. So as we've tried to look at like who we trust to future cast, when things are going to open up, when vaccines are going to come online, what the risk is on a global scale, et cetera. I mean, we've all struggled with figuring out who we really look to as a thought leader on this. And I feel as though Bill Gates might be the single best person right now to predict it. Uh, clearly, a Dr. Fauci is the type of person we want to look to in terms of the medical side of it. But in terms of the economic, in terms of the cultural, societal, I feel as though Bill Gates is really well poised to have a good inkling as to what's going to happen. So as an overview, he, of course, said that the most important things we can do are staying home, increasing testing. And then he also said that in the interim, before we get to vaccines that we need to have drugs that can treat symptoms, and that that could help reduce the death toll, and then also just help reduce the strain on hospitals, which makes a lot of sense and isn't something that I've thought about or heard talked about that much. The part that was most interesting to me is the vaccine timeline. I feel as though a lot of people we've heard have said 18 months, some people have said sooner, but I think 18 months is the number that people use in terms of like a vast rollout that has gone through all the clinical tests. And so he said that he donated or he pledged $100 million to fighting coronavirus and that he's building seven factories to ramp up production for seven different vaccines, knowing that in all likelihood, only two of those vaccines will be successful. So he said he will lose or people collectively and he included will lose billions of dollars on this, knowing that some won't work. But that way they can have the vaccine as fast as possible instead of serially testing one seeing if it works then testing the next seeing if it works they're just going to spend all the money now because the the economic cost is is worthwhile so long story short he was saying that he thinks vaccines won't be rolled out until that 18 month number and in the interim what's going to happen is that things will be eased and that we will as early as this summer early summer i think is what he said be able to get out and about But he doesn't see us being in sports stadiums until we've reached like 80 percent of the population having immunity, whether that's through vaccine or knowing that they have immunity through some sort of antibody test. So it was really insightful. I feel as though as we've been trying to game plan this, the best thing that you can do and the thing that we have been doing is doing like this scenario forecasting or scenario testing where you look at all these different scenarios of what does it look like if we can live a normal life in three months, in six months, in 12 months? Or what does it look like if we can do X, Y, and Z in a shorter time period? And so this was comforting for me to hear. I mean, it wasn't comforting that it sounds like sports won't be sports in the way that we know it, where you can pack a stadium for at least a year. But it was comforting to know, okay, if Bill Gates is saying that this is likely, maybe we can start planning around this.
1: So this might need to be edited out because it could be that dumb of a question, even though I believe there's no dumb questions. But the idea of the no sports, so he's potentially talking about how we could have restaurants, bars, shopping centers, things like that could open and be back to normal. But then they're to bringing together of these larger populations. It's like, would airports be open? I guess I'm trying to differentiate why the risk is so much more significant when there's 10 plus thousand people coming together versus 500 people coming together. And I get the simple math of that. It seems to me like it's going to be really hard to draw the line of where the risk is so high that it's, and there's just going to be a number of people per gathering that's allowed and not allowed, I'm guessing. But do you have so many thoughts on, on that? And if it is that much higher risk than going to a 200 person restaurant?
2: uh, My initial thought on that is you can't go to a chief's game without (laughs) hugging somebody. But you can go to your you know, your local Costco without hugging someone.
0: I don't know. That's Those greeters. I'm a big fan of my greeters at Costco on Linwood. Um, <laughs> no, I think, it's a, I think it's a good question. And I think it is a simple answer, but it's hard to understand in that humans are really bad at understanding scale. So we love talking about the difference between a million and a billion or a billion and a trillion. And I forget exactly what it is, but I think it's like a million seconds is 11 days and a billion seconds is like multiple years. It's, it's just an unfathomable difference and we forget how, how vastly different it is. And I think that that's really like, hopefully, I think there are some good simulations out there, but what you really have to do is have a simulation of someone who's walking through and having invisible puffs of, of their breath, you know, illustrated as red and then walking through a coffee shop. And then them walking through an airport and then them walking through a stadium where they're getting past 12 people in line when they're going to the bathroom, getting their peanuts, et cetera, handing things off. And I think that you have to visualize that and then realize how many people they interact with. And so I think the scale is just so high. And also it's harder to maintain sanitation standards in that type of situation.
1: Yeah that makes sense it's a it is a bit of a flood an uncontrollable flood of people in one space where even if a busy restaurant sees 10000 people over a course of a 2 weeks or you know I don't know what the back match would be spreading it out over time allowing for sanitation makes a huge difference versus 3 hours of that amount of people coming together so And then yeah, you just make, think about makes sense. people winding down when they're
0: leaving the K on that concourse and how close you are with everyone and people are yelling and projecting and so I think it's just way too much close contact
2: Yeah so one of the articles I recently read about was about how travel restrictions and just general restrictions in Wuhan in China have been recently lifted. One of the ways they are going about lifting those is through a an app, a health app on your phone. And if you have that green light on your health app, however they determine that, I don't know then you are safe to go about your business. Um, Do you all see a scenario in which the way we have mobile tickets to get into a stadium that we would have a green lighted health app that says, Hey, I'm good. I can walk in and be around thousands of other people.
0: I think that scares the, I don't, I guess we're a rated G podcast. I think that scares people a lot, but I do think it makes a lot of sense. And so I believe that in Hong Kong, They've been giving bracelets to people who come back in that decide how long they're quarantined, or if they have had it, or if they are sick right now, etc. It makes sense to a to a degree, but I don't know if Americans would, would get behind that.
2: Yeah, you get, to get into
0: a juice game. That's a fair question.
1: Maybe Is a fair question And I think that's going to be Potentially the most uh, Conflicted demographic Potentially About about some of this The Yeah I've thought about that I mean we've talked a lot About herd immunity And If you've already had it And We've discovered that It's low risk of you Getting it again Or another strand If somehow that allows you To go back into the workforce But not other people A How would that testing go about B What would that look like I do I think it's gonna be a lot of people that are not accepting of how invasive that would be to a let other people know your health status uh, and then be you know have a, a scarlet letter of sorts to go out into public with. Uh, I don't know, I think it'd be challenging.
0: One of the things that Bill Gates talked about was how he predicts that until the vaccine is really rolled out worldwide, will have to limit foreign nationals from coming into the U.S. based upon which areas have good vaccine adoption. He was saying that within the U.S., though, we have this complicated situation in which we're all in this together and we're not going to restrict travel between states, but states have handled it very, very differently. And so in the situation where we might get vaccines up to a certain level, enough people have some protection because their body already fought it or they already had it or some for some reason they're, they just were somewhat immune to it, those people, if they aren't acting really carefully, could still be putting a lot of other people at risk. And so you might act with this sort of confidence that, oh, I know I can't get sick anymore or I know I'm protected. But then you might touch the the cup that someone who was sick touched and then pass it to someone who doesn't have the same immunity that you have. And so it's a little scary in that we really are all in it together. And it would be tough to distinguish between who we can permit to, to move freely and who can't.
1: Yeah, the travel component, I think, is really interesting and relates to an article I read recently when we talk about how when the green light comes on for life to go back to normal, it's going to be in phases. And I think travel is one of those phases that's going to be very late in the game in in terms of international travel. And so the, the article I was reading was about Airbnb and how 2020 was supposed to be this banner year for them. They're going to go public and had a 50 billion dollar valuation um, and now at this point, it's looking like they're going to have a $1 billion loss by June of 2020. And so it's, it's been a major pivot for them as many companies. But I think for them, it's even different because of this travel component and how heavily they're leveraged by it. On the flip side of that, I do think it's interesting how the article talked about how when travel does pick up, or if it does pick up domestically first, that Airbnbs will be utilized heavier than hotels because of their privacy, less population going through there, just like the stadiums. And so as things do pick up, they might come back in a big way because of their ability for the owners to sanitize, more transparency on what's happening. And so it'll be interesting to see how Airbnb bounces back. But the other interesting note in that article was that the uh, CEO, I'm blanking on the name right now, said they do have a $4 billion cash cushion to help get through at this moment though.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Not what you expect, yeah. Not what you expect with uh, people going public like that,
1: right? So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. What are you guys' thoughts on travel? Do you think it's going to be a major lagger in how things will come back on the grid, or will people kind of take things in their own hands and start traveling?
2: I think that'll be based solely on what the different countries restrictions they put in place. It might almost be governed entirely by different countries, our country, etc. The only thing I'd speak to or have comparison for, but it's, again, not a direct comparison, is a lot of the travel restrictions and the fear of travel that was put in place after 9-11. There was a significant amount of fear about getting into an airport, getting into a crowded place in that time for a different reason. I remember personally, my family, we made a point to visit New York for the first time as a family as soon as possible after 9-11 as a sign of solidarity and to show support something like this doesn't apply to that because it can almost have the exact opposite effect uh, if you are carrying a disease or spreading a disease. But I would imagine that there would be some similarities and parallels there to how people felt after 9-11 in terms of getting back out in public, wanting to support their favorite country to visit, their favorite place in America or something like that.
0: I think we could see a renaissance of domestic travel. And I think back to I don't know. I picture like '60s or '70s era, you know, caravanning across the country, and I feel as though a lot of people our age um, have done that or are planning to or long to do it. And I could see that being a really good reason for people to change their travel plans from an international trip to domestic travel. It is worrisome to think about which countries will be left out of the global economy because those countries that aren't able to roll out vaccines or where their leadership refuses to roll out vaccines or where the public perception of vaccines is really poor, then I think that the US and other developed nations will be forced to limit travel there and limit business with those countries. And I think it's going to create a class system to a degree of those where there is free movement and free business and free travel versus those where there is not.
1: So as we were just talking about this, I did a quick search of tourism in China as things were being lifted. And the first story on CNN was that the tourist sites were overloaded and packed as soon as uh, the green light turned on and that people came out in flocks and there was over 20,000 people at a specific tourist destination. And it was ended up having to get shut down as a result.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's a, that's a good warning to be really careful about how you – open things back up because you certainly wouldn't want to have a resurgence. Yeah.
2: That is interesting though. I guess that part of that shows there's maybe not that fear that we would anticipate, Yeah, but the other side is, is that a good, is that a good thing? (laughs) That's a great question.
1: I think it's interesting to see, I think right now, early on as there was less government intervention, we saw a lot of Gen Z and other groups uh, going out in masses still because of the lack of fear of it's not going to affect me. And then I think there was pressure and actual laws put in place where they couldn't. I think as soon as those are lifted, I, I don't see the fear being a component that keeps certain groups home. I think as soon as there's less guilt and less government intervention on closing things or keeping people home, we'll see a pretty big surgence of people out and about.
0: I was talking to one of my friends who's a physician last night, and each of us have been talking to our physician friends much more than normal, I think. Uh, And we're very appreciative, and it's been awesome to hear what they've had to say, and they're doing heroic work. This friend was saying that he is really optimistic about how much we're going to know about fighting coronavirus in a month, in two months, in three months. He said there's some fantastic research that's happening in New York right now, and a lot of this might not be... um, It might not be about vaccines or prevention, but it's about how to treat it. And so it's about reducing the impact of the symptoms. And it's about making sure that less people are dying. And it's making sure that people are on ventilators for a shorter period of time and that their quality of life is a lot better. So he was saying that we're going to be able to fight this much better if there is a resurgence, if there is a second wave, whether we loosen restrictions too much or whether it just comes back in the winter naturally, despite our best efforts. So that's really encouraging that. If we get to this new normal and our medical world has learned so much about this, that the risk associated with getting COVID-19 is much, much less than it is
1: today. That is good. I'll admit I was slightly distracted because your screen froze on my Skype and it looks like you're blowing me a kiss. Keith's Keith's still moving, but you're in a frozen state in which it looks like you're blowing me a kiss.
2: I'm okay with that. That is really good news. Back to Bill Gates and sports stadiums. I'm wondering if there would be a scenario where a team such as, say, the Kansas City Chiefs, who one of their goals is to maximize every square inch of their stadium as possible, would see an opportunity to, say, let half the fans in on a given Sunday for a given game. So instead of having 80,000 packed in, you have 40,000, multiple, more space between, risk lower. Um, Does that make any sense at all? Would you want to go to a sporting event in that situation, Keith? Uh,
1: I, I'm not asking like rhetorically. Like That sounds awful. I'm Honestly, like, with, I'm going to a Chiefs game, and I know it's going to be 10% full, which doesn't happen, but I'm, I'm less inclined to go because I'm going for that experience. Do you think people will still want to go do that?
2: On one level, I would say yes. I would want to go to be one of the first to see kind of live sports again and kind of have that unique sports memory. On the other hand, I would, you know, the tickets would probably be three or four times more expensive. (laughs) and So it probably wouldn't be an option in that case if they're trying to make up for that lost revenue. I did, I know you guys remember this, but I did go to the first night of the big 12 tournament um, before the tournament was canceled. And so I have this experience of being one of the few last people in our country to watch a live sporting event on a kind of college or professional level, which is kind of unique. Just trying to rub it in Keith. Sort of. I mean, I'm not particularly – I mean, looking back, it looks like it was a bad decision to go. Obviously, I didn't, I didn't catch anything. It didn't spread in Kansas City because of the Big 12 tournament. But at the same time, everything was unraveling that day across our country with the NBA and other collegiate sports and things canceling that I felt like I was kind of part of a little bit of history in a different sort of way. I mean, they, they announced over the loudspeaker at the Sprint Center, hey, we're canceling the tournament for the rest of the oh, week. wow. Fans were booing, people were angry, wow. and it was just a really interesting experience to be caught up in.
0: It does provide quite the moral conundrum. If I knew that i had already had coronavirus or if I had the vaccine and I could go to the stadium, I think I'd want to go. And I would know that, okay, I'm protected and I need to do my duty to wash my hands afterwards and make sure that I'm not passing it on to someone else by getting into my car or by touching something else, et cetera. But at the same time, even if I'm doing everything correctly, if other people went there under false pretense and they thought that they were also safe, but they weren't, then ultimately that's going to create the same effect on the strain to our healthcare workers. And then that has this trickle down effect that it could affect people who want to go experience their child's birth or people who have what should be a minor illness that then gets ignored because they can't go into a hospital as quickly, or they can't get the level of care that they need. And so I'd like to think that there's a way to make it work, but I'm not sure. On a related note, in terms of just having fun predictions, I could see structural engineers or maybe just like traffic engineers um, have kind of a boon. In the next five years as they try to reconfigure places like stadiums so that there can be more points of entry and more po- points of exit so that way you don't necessarily have to funnel everyone through the same places so perhaps some stadiums could be looked at as opposed to a fire code where it's like okay here's how many people need to exit through this amount of door space here's how far the distance is and so instead of it's saving people's lives in the event of a fire it's just reducing the amount of uh interactions
2: which I would then kind of shift us into a different era of public gatherings away from the 9-11, intense security, everyone through one point of entry to a more broader, it conflicts with the current state that we're in. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, an interesting thing.
0: Yeah, it would require a lot more labor. It would, it would require a lot more employees to help facilitate that process. But in terms of outdoor concerts, in terms of restaurants, if Kansas City wanted to lessen restrictions, maybe they say, hey take whatever your fire code rating is, cut it by 40%. That's your new rating. That's how many people you can have in a space. Space your tables out, space your barstools out, and you're good to open. That seems like you could create some sort of simple ratio that would allow certain places to open in
1: a safer way. I was just thinking through the <laughs> requirement of masks and all of that, and then I pictured people trying to eat And drink with masks and there's obviously a, a very quick problem there in terms of public places being open where you consume things and so uh but yeah i do i do think i mean i could see i could see professional sports not serving food for a long time and requiring masks potentially as as one step in getting back to open
0: sorry on that note i meant to say this at the top of the podcast and i'm really glad that you brought up masks my neighbor gave me a slight admonishment And she wanted me to go ahead and make sure that everyone understands that masks are only as good as the way that you wear them. So she actually is in charge of all the PPE training at the University of Kansas Health System. So she is the hospital standards coordinator, and she said that she's been really unnerved by the way she's seen people use masks. And as we are trying to get more and more masks out there, she thought that it was imperative that we share with everyone that you need to be really careful about how often you're touching your mask. So if you go into a grocery store and you're touching things, even if you have gloves on, and then you're touching your mask and you're pulling it down to talk to someone, and then you're putting it back up, your mask has now been infected. So you really need to be careful about how often you're touching it. In theory, you're not touching it at all. You need to be washing it regularly. You need to be putting it on a clean surface when it's not in use. And also, doctors also almost always use the ear loops to pull a mask off if they're trying not to to touch it. So she highly recommends that. We share this with everyone and let you know that you can, of course, just go to YouTube, search how you should put on, take off a mask, how you should care for it, etc. She was saying that with the reusable ones, such as the ones that Sandlot's making, we should encourage people to really have five or six because you need to be able to swap them on and off multiple times throughout the day based upon the environment in which you are in. And so then you need to be able to wash them. And while you're washing them, you need to have others ready. So she was saying most people, unfortunately, are reusing masks more than they should, and they're touching them a lot more than they should. And therefore, the efficacy of it from protecting you and protecting others is greatly diminished. So just wanted to quickly throw that in. Thought it was a really good point.
1: I think that's probably a good thing to close on. We've spend a decent amount of time talking through this stuff and uh, leave people with how to properly use their masks. I like it. Well,
0: thanks so much for listening. We have some fun guests in the works. If you have any ideas for us or people you'd like to put us in touch with, please reach out to us at hello at maidencasey.co or on Twitter at madeincasey underscore. Thanks.